morning, everybody. It is a perfect day here for the Jimmy Palumbo Show. That's right, live from Matawan, New Jersey. Fans are on their feet. They're lined up outside in the most depressing part of Matawan. I'm a fan of Matawan, just not where the studios are. That's where all the good horror films are shot and people get killed outside. No, that's not true. I jest. This is show number 25 of the Jimmy Palumbo Show, and it is a special show indeed. Show number 25, and as you well know, those of you scoring at home, I like to name the show with the number of a jersey of a player, and number 25 was interesting. Of course, um, I thought of Jim Abbott, the one-armed guy in the Yankees who threw a no-hitter. I thought about that. For the old-timers, there's a few of those. I have Hank Bauer, uh, Joe Pepitone, Al Kaline. My father would thoroughly enjoy that if he was around. Uh, you also have your Jason Giannabino, Giambi, and Mike uh, uh, Girardi. Um, Mark Teixeira. Mark Teixeira. That's a good one. You also have Greg Cattaray, classic shitty Yankee from 89-92. Um, Brian Doyle, the BD boys in 78. Willie Randolph got hurt, and Brian Doyle and Buckled, Bucky Dent single-handedly won the World Series for him. Uh, of course, you got Glaber Day, Torres. Um but uh, then you got Bonds, and you got uh, Vince Carter from the NBA. See, I didn't think I did a little more research now, a little bit. And I was almost going to go with Vince Carter because... Vince Carter only wore 25 with the Suns. Well, he played it. Well, it doesn't matter. I Googled yeah. it and it said 25. <laughs> and, well, first of all, first of all, it's not fair. The reason why we're not going to use Vince Carter is because he played 48 years. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's and he only wore And he wore that number for, like, one, he's, if that. He's 74 years old now. And I think, he, did he play with the Knicks in the beginning of last year? I think he played, like, eight games with the Knicks. I don't think he ever was a Knicks. Uh, it's the one, it's the one, the one team Carter, that he I'm, never played for. But you know who did play for the Knicks last year and wore number 25? Derrick Rose. Yeah, of course. I saw him there. But I was going to go with a veteran. Remember Dan Issel? Denver, the big, big lug. Whenever, I, whenever I'd be out at the clubs and I saw like a big girl, kind of a big, like tall, chunk alone, uh, but not fat, just like big and husky. I was careful. Like, well, I'm not being anything. All right, I know, I know. That's I why I said careful. A, I'm just saying like a, a big girl, but not a heavy set girl. Just okay. tall. Like someone looks like she plays volleyball with, you know, uh, I would always call her like a, like a young Dan Issel. Um But that wasn't a bad thing to say. I'm not, no, listen, no, no, I know. People have body shapes. People call me a, a pudgy, you know, Gardner. Um, I could also go with Sosa, but I'm going to go with a guy. It's a little bit earlier than I wanted to, but I loved him, and I used to imitate him playing wiffle ball. Um, number 25, and they named a whole surgery over him. Number 25, Tommy John. Played for the Yankees from like 79 to 89. He was a classic... I would love... He could probably still pitch. Because, well, all he did was throw that little... He had like that little sinker ball... And you hit ground balls. So Tommy John would have first and second one out all the time. All of a sudden, chopper to Bucky Dent, field the cleanly flips, double play. And he also was tough. Um, and obviously, he came back from Tommy John surgery, um, and they named it after him. What do they do? They take the thing from your calf or something They take like a that. ligament from somewhere else in and your body. And now they do it. I like guess my, it depends where. Like my daughter at eight years old, if she got hurt, they would, they would do Tommy John surgery. They do it on high school kids now. But back in the day, that surgery was like, he'll never come back. I think he was out three years, and then he came back and he pitched okay. But I just loved his style. He was a cool guy to watch. He, he never—I don't think—in my mind, his fastball was like eighty miles an hour. <laughs> but he was—it was like a, it wasn't junk ball, but it was just—he was a pitcher. He knew how to pitch. Um, 
But I, I, I didn't even look up how many wins he has. He's probably a, I don't want to say he's, he's not a borderline Hall of Famer by any stretch, but a very, very, very good pitcher. So this is, and I used to love imitating him a uh, wiffle ball when I was a child. And, um, and that's it. Number 25, Tommy John. Now I got Chris Gucci here behind the glass. Who is your number 25? Well, you said all 37 guys that were listed. I, I've been going with the younger generation too much, so this time I'm going to go with someone a little older with Fred Bolitnikoff. Okay, I saw him. That was a good one. That was a good one. I feel like that's the type of guy that was smoking you know cigarettes think, on the sideline coming to the games drunk. I, I, you know what? I think most of your, uh, I think your listeners will remember who Fred Bolitnikoff was. And so that's it. It is the Tommy John and Fred Bolitnikoff show. Now, um, those of you who are still with us, the uh, uh, we have to discuss last week's show. Obviously, I had Artie Lang on, which was a blast. We had a lot of fun. But we ran into some audio problems, and um, um, no one got thrown under the bus, although uh, <laughs> me, Chris, and Dave were dangerously near the bus. Yeah, um, no, I was I was thrown under the bus. Uh, I, you were a little I'm bit. I'm the but audio I was, engineer. I was told you guys need to fire the audio yeah, engineer. Yeah, you took a beat. I took a beat. Uh, I'm not going to fire myself. So. Listen, when you have someone like Artie Lang on who is a has a rabid fan base, especially on social media, um, you're going to get comments. I knew it. People were like, who's this asshole host Jimmy Plumbo? He sucks, which I got a kick out of. Um, but listen, I would have been all over, and I engaged with some of the guys online because I thought it was fun. And most of them, once you engage with them, kind of said, hey, Jimmy, you know, it was cool having them on. But we had, it was shitty audio, and there was nothing we could do. I was, I, I, you know, we called Artie once. I didn't want to bother him. We both kind of froze. All of us froze for a minute. It wasn't great audio, but we plowed through it. Um, and so uh, I was like, you know what? I was like, man, a lot of people are going to judge me by our production value. I don't care if you judge me about it. If you think the show's funny or good, that's fine. But the fact that they were judging, because we got 11 shows on this network, and and I would say audio uh, is not really an issue with these shows. They sound pretty good. Now, keep in mind, and this is for every podcast, you got to remember before you judge us, when you have somebody on via the phone or even Zoom, sometimes the audio is not as good as if they're right in the studio. So now I'm doing my podcast education here. So we had Artie on the phone. It was self, his cell phone. He was probably out on his deck um, over there in Hoboken. And it just we didn't have a good connection. And um, so uh, the audio was lousy. We admitted it right away. Uh, but we were so thrilled to have him on. And we got a lot of nice downloads. And we got mostly good comments. The ones that were shitty were pretty funny. And I got a kick out of them. So I decided out of nowhere that, you know what, we can't go out like this. I cannot go out, the Jimmy Palumbo show cannot be known as the guy who had Artie Lang on and had shitty audio. So we uh, we had a big uh, meeting, a big board meeting with the guys here, and they said, maybe you should reach out to him one more time. we got to figure out a way to get less shitty audio. Yeah, less shitty. So, um, so exactly right. So I had coffee with Artie. The, I had coffee with Artie the next day in Hoboken, and... The funny thing about that was, if you've ever seen the movie Sunshine Boys, that's what it looked like. The two of us were sitting at a chess table near the Starbucks in Hoboken where he lives, and we just and we started talking about the old days. He was smoking a cigarette. I had my coffee. I was like, Artie, look at it. The two of us look like we're 79 years old talking about it. it was the Rialto Theater, not the, you know. Um, so we had like a good hour and a half conversation. He did not help me move the couch, which I did. My buddy Dave DeLisi, um, uh, 
We moved his uh, family couch and got it back to his house. And a quick note to my buddy Dave Delisi. He just lost his dog yesterday. He had to put his dog down. It's a little sparky. Uh, it was a good little dog and got sick and they had to put him down. He wasn't that old either, seven years old. So that's my shameless plug. But we decided to get Artie back on. So I called him up in classic Artie. He was like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. I'm around Monday, you know. So um, in this show, ladies and gentlemen, we will have Artie Lang getting involved twice all right, well, we're going to go to the coolest segment of the show. Well, I call it the coolest segment, the worst name ever, Jimmy's Bookings. And that, of course, is brought to you by Absolute Eyewear. You know, myself and Gooch are both getting a little older. One of the first things to go is your vision. Thank goodness for our hookup over at Absolute Eyewear in Woodbridge, New Jersey, right on Main Street next to the train station. They have glasses for all ages, all budgets. They have safety glasses, sports glasses. They are a full-service powerhouse offering eye exams and even free lenses for the kids. They work with BCBS, AAA, AARP, giving massive discounts. They're open five days a week, closed on Wednesdays and Sundays. Call 732-326-3937 to get your first pair of Ray-Ban, Burberry, Coach, Polo, you name it. They got it. Go see Craig and Johnine right now. Uh Okay, Jimmy Palumbo's bookings. Now, we got a bunch of cool ones here. I find it interesting anyway. The first one uh, was a movie called, um, now, Invincible. Now, this is the, the, the famous one about the Eagle guy, Mr. Mister Eagle, um, that they did. It was directed by Erickson Core, and um, it was produced by, actually, a friend of the family's called Mark Chiardi. He was a big-time producer. He's done The Rookie. He did the one, A Miracle on Ice. He did Invincible, a lot of those things. Big time casting director. Now you got to remember, this movie started Mark Wahlberg, and you guys never heard the stories. So you're gonna get a kick out of it. I kind of got the audition through the producer Mark Giardi, but the weird thing was I was qualified. In other words, I was qualified for this audition. But so even though the guy was doing me a favor, I knew like, like uh, this is what I do. I can do this. So I go in to see her. She thinks I'm coming in to play one of Mark Wahlberg's friends which were the actual entourage people, the real Johnny Drama, the real entourage. So I go in, I hand her my resume, I read the one line, I yell out something in the scene, and she goes, wait a minute, now who are you? I said, I'm Jimmy, I'm Jimmy Plumbo, I'm with Prince Potter Young, uh, I got the audition for this. And I said, I'm, uh, I said, I'm friends with one of the producers, Mark Jardy, and she's like, oh, I thought you were coming in as a friend of Mark Wahlberg. Then she looks at my resume and she goes, oh, Oh, Jimmy, I'm so sorry. You're, you're, you, you should be reading this bigger part. It was for the assistant coach to Dick Vermeil, And the, the, it literally shot, I would have worked six weeks in Philadelphia. Would have made like a lot of money. So I, I do the scene. I read it. And um, she goes, okay, okay. I go home. I call up my brother-in-law, who's friends with uh, Mark Chiardi, the producer. I said, I did good. We'll see. So next thing you know, I get a call back. But I get a callback from Mark Chiardi. He goes like, "Dude, you got a callback." And I was like, "Okay." Like I was like, "Yeah, I, I hit a I hit a twelve footer." Like you know, it's no big deal. He was like, "You don't understand. You know how many friends I've brought in to audition for stuff, and they always like they're not ready. They don't know what they're doing." Like so, then I realized I have to like resell myself to this. I'm like, Mark, I I have like eighty credits. I was in this that. Like I you know, I was in Friends for Christ's sake. Like this is not that big of a part. Played a football coach. So I go back in, and um, uh, I, I now he's in the room now, but he was quiet in the corner. And I thought I did even better on the callback. 
So then when I get back to New York, I was uh, in L.A. at the time. I get back to New York, and um, I get another phone call from them, and they're like, uh, Jimmy, the, the, the director wants to see you one more time. Now I'm like, man, it's the third time. I got a shot at this. So I auditioned for that, but I get a phone call from Mark Chardy a couple of days later. It's like, Jimmy, I'm really sorry. Listen, you didn't get it, but we're going to fit you in. We're going to get you, you know, I'm going to get you some work on this film. Some like uh, part of the fans, part of with Wahlberg's crowd. I didn't know they were the Entourage crowd because the show Entourage hadn't been on the air yet. So um, it was like, it was just on the air, like one episode. So, but meanwhile, he told me, and I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but it's funny to me. He's like, Jimmy, the reason why you didn't get the part is because we hammered the director. Every choice he wanted, we went the other way. And we were eight for eight. He lost every choice. So when it came to your role, I knew if I opened my mouth and said, we want Jimmy Flumbo, you were gone. So he went with the other guy, who's a good buddy of mine, uh, Michael Mulhern, good actor. He's also bigger. He looks like an offensive lineman who's now a coach. He's a bigger guy than I am, a little older as well. And he was great in the role, and God bless him. But I, of course, got three or four days worth of work. But when I'm on the set, I play the first guy to scream out at Dick Vermeil. I yell out, hey, golden boy, because he was a UCLA coach. So standing right next to me, though, is this guy. And they were all completely, they were dressed really weird because it was the 70s. And Johnny Drama, the actual drama from Entourage, was wearing these really, like, tight, jean shorts all the way up like creeping up his ass almost because Wahlberg thought they looked so bad he made his buddy wear them that's the kind of guy he was so we were talking and I said oh wait you, he goes Jimmy you watch the show Entourage I said yeah I just caught it it just been on he goes yeah well we're the actual him and him and him and the turtle guy whatever the hell it was they were the actual guys and then so I started BSing with him and I'm, I'm like I hope the show does well for you and he was like yeah you know we're all consultants we're not really in the writer's room but we come up with the show ideas I'm like I was like, wait a minute, is, is it really accurate? He goes, no, we can't even do half the stuff. HBO let it put us on half the stuff. So we had a full conversation. He told me about the the, the fight they had at the Madonna plays. It was cool. Um, it was just a really, really good conversation with a bunch of cool guys. And this is, I don't even know what happened to all of them, but I also said, hey, is it really true about the entourage? And he's like, you don't understand how good a friend Mark Wahlberg is. When he, like, he puts it in the line item of the budget, like, like, I'll pay for it, but I want my buddies, like, I need, like, eight rooms. No matter what city they shoot in, he allows space for, like, oh, my boys are coming out to, to Philly or they're coming, they shoot in an exotic location. He's like, oh, that's cool. But my buddies, I need a floor for my buddies, but coming out because who am I going to drink with or hang out with, whatever. Now, again, this is years ago when Wahlberg was younger. But he was like, you have no idea. And then I found out through the producer, my buddy Mark, that he used, because they shot it on the cam campus of Temple, which... Well, we will be discussing briefly um, the uh, Rutgers Place Temple on Thursday, and I can't believe I haven't talked about that yet. But uh, we'll do that in the outro. But uh, he said that he drove around one of those Vespas, you know, to get to get back and forth. And one of the security guards, this guy was like, oh, man, that's a cool bike, man. My son would love that. On the last day of the shoot, he pulled up to the guy with the keys and just said, hey, man, here, give this to your kid. And the guy was like, what? Uh, doesn't have to be registered. He's like, I don't know. Call the office. They'll take care of that. Like, totally. Those things are expensive, those Vespers. He just gave it away only because the guy said my son would dig that. So everybody just loved working with uh, him on that. So that's my um, uh, invincible story. I got paid. I still get residuals. It was a fun movie to be in. And you see me wearing an undersized T-shirt in the middle of the scene when you first get introduced. The next thing I next thing I want to booking I want to talk about is Sex in the City 2. Now, 
this was a big movie when it came out. The first the first movie was bigger. This one was did well as well. Um, but the coolest thing for me is we shot it near the Upper East Side. And my dear Aunt Peggy, who was like 88 or 90 years old at the time, she was a big-time stylist in New York in the uh, uh, 60s and 70s. And I had like two hours to kill. So I asked the guy, saying, you mind if I go around a corner? I brought my aunt down, this elegant older lady, and the audio guy couldn't have been nicer. They sat her down. Turns out she knew somebody, uh, one of the stylists, and she was able to sit and she was able to see uh, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker come out of the, the building. I wasn't even in the scene. They ended up not using me. And um, she got to sit there and, and she was thrilled. She's a fan of the show, Sex and the City. So there's my 88-year-old aunt, totally thrilled. Um, but the coolest thing was when the, uh, the on the day of the shoot, um, I got there at 6 a.m. and we didn't shoot till 1 o'clock in the morning. I made like a million dollars doing that thing because all the overtimes kick in. But the coolest part was when I finally get on set, all you hear in the background is beer league. Beer League. A couple of the crew guys worked on Beer League. I'm talking about lighting guys, guys running wires. Guys I didn't even know. They're like, Beer League. And Sarah Jessica Parker totally saw that. I was being like, people knew who I was. But I'm like, they knew because I probably had a cup of coffee with them on the set of Beer League. But then when we did this, uh, we did the scene. They put the camera on Sarah Jessica Parker. And of course, um, when she was done, they turned it around for the, on me. And she goes, Jimmy, I'm so sorry. Do you mind if I leave? Am I standing? I've been up all day. I got an event to go tomorrow. I was like, Sarah, no, what am I going to say? No, how dare you not? So she left. I didn't care. And I looked at her and I said, Sarah, I'm making so much money on overtime. She goes, oh, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah I remember those days. And I'm like, yeah. So she left. We did it like three takes. But I was the first guy in the series to call Sarah Jessica Parker's character name by her, made, uh, by her new married name, which she married big. And I called her, I forget the name of the show. I should probably know this. But I said, um, you know, hey, Mrs. Big, can I get anything else for so you? So when it's all said and done, when you flip over the Jimmy Palumbo uh, baseball card, you that's going to be one of those. It's going to be at the top. You're going to have the stats. It's going to say gonna bats right, <laughs> throws left, and he's the first one to introduce Sarah. By the way, if anybody gets that uh, throws like catch, anyway, that's another story. Yes, that's going to be on the back of my baseball card. So that was my uh, uh, Sex in the City thing. The other the other thing, the other booking I had, which was, was pretty funny, um, and I was show, and this is something you guys, Dave and Chris, are going to get a kick out of this. I did a movie called Something Borrowed, okay, which was directed by Luke Greenfield. I played a cab driver, and they attached the cab, the the the, the hitch to the cab, so I never was really driving. And in the back seat, it was um, Jennifer Goodwin, who was on a show called Ed. She was like kind of chubby on Ed. Now she like. She lost a lot of weight. She looked like she's hot as hell, I thought. Uh, Kate Hudson's also in the movie, but I didn't see her. And an actor called Colin uh, Eggersfield. And he looked like a, like a young Tom Cruise. So they're in the back of the cab. And there I am excited to meet Jennifer Goodwin. I was a fan of the show she was on that put her on the map. And either they were tired or they were doing Meisner, whatever they were doing. They were completely... I think, again, every time I play a cab driver, the actors think I'm just a cab driver. I really think... I tried to say, like, hey, what's going on? It was like, it was like nothing. I couldn't get, it was like, you know, Morgan Freeman time. I couldn't get any, I was like, these people looking at me like I'm an oil painting. I said, okay. So then I sat there. However, we shot it in such a cool, they never shoot places like this. In the middle of like the village on a small street with rock and bars where my, and right where my trailer was is right where we kind of shot the scene. So I had to sit there for hours. And of course, it was game seven of the Celtics Laker game. So I'm sitting on the steps of my trailer looking through the screen and watching the game and I'm like 
like the, my scenes were like not that long, and it was just I was like so depressed. I'm like I wanted to watch Game Seven. I'm shooting this uh, movie. No one cares about me here. You know, they weren't being. They were. I, I can't say they were being unfriendly. They were being like nothing. You know, not even barely hello. But the best part was they signed me out at the end. Of, I, there must have been about nine minutes to go. So the guy sent, signing me out, and uh, again, it was June 16th, and he says to me, hey, Jimmy, where are you going? And I'm like, uh, right there. I walked four feet, and I was inside a bar with screaming Celtic and Laker fans watching uh, watching Game 7. So that's my Something Borrowed story. Of course, Something Borrowed airs all the time, and people tell me I see you all the time as a cabbie. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that was with Jennifer Goodwin and uh, Colin. I think it's Colin Eggerfield or something like that. And uh, all I remember is watching the uh, Lakers beat the Celtics or Celtics beat the Lakers. I forget. I don't care who won. I just got trashed. And that was it. I was rooting I was rooting for injuries. I don't like the Lakers or the Celtics. So that's it. That is Jimmy's bookings getting involved. So we have the bookings for today are Invincible, Sex in the City 2, and Something Borrowed. All right, when we come back, we will have the great Artie Lang. Warren Brumell of Keyport Law has been practicing for over 35 years and is here to help you in your bankruptcy matters. Bankruptcy is a specialized area of law that requires expertise and experience, and Warren brings both. Keyport Law has handled over 10,000 bankruptcy cases. They will make the process simple and provide easy, affordable payment plans. Warren will get creditors off your back, stop the annoying phone calls, and stop the creditors from contacting your neighbors and former employers. Listeners of Chop Sports will get the first interview free. Go to www.keyportlaw.com and fill out the new client intake form, and they will contact you directly. This firm is a debt relief agency helping people file for relief under the bankruptcy code. Service Team of Professionals, a.k.a. Stop Restoration of Edison, is a locally owned and operated business that provides professional disaster cleaning and restoration services, including a 24-hour emergency service to homeowners, property managers, real estate investors, and insurance companies alike. Stop Restoration helps people overcome the stress and anxiety of unforeseen circumstances caused by fire, smoke, water, mold, and other unexpected damages. As part of a nationally recognized restoration franchise, Stop Restoration of Edison is backed by the best technical advisors and business consultants in the country. Visit them right now online at www.stop-edison.com. We are back from the break, and of course, we have a very special guest today. And I guess much like the Godfather Part 1, there's always going to be a Godfather Part 2, or a Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. Uh, hopefully this won't be the French connection to. But uh, we have, again, for the second week in a row, out of the kindness of his heart, we have Mr. Artie Lang back here on the Jimmy Palumbo Show. Artie, how you doing, man? What's up, Jim? Good to be back. <laughs> Listen, I apologize. You know, I, the main reason why I'm having you back uh, uh, is, well, there's, there's a lot of reasons why, but the main reason, I was reading some of the comments by people um, who hated the audio. We had a little trouble with your cell phone connection, so we, we called you on the house line. And uh, some of the comments were funny. You know, were you guys talking through a tin can? <laughs> you Was your show done underwater? And I had some fun. Yeah. I, uh... As you know, your Howard Stern fan base can be uh, funny. Of course, some of them rip me a new ass, but that's okay. I'm a big boy. But uh, I said to myself, you know what? I, I got to have him on again just to let his fans know that we are very capable here at the Chop Sports Network to put together a fine uh, podcast here. So I figured I ha I'd have you on again and find out uh, some more things and stuff like that. So 
I appreciate well, you. Coming I'm, glad, I'm glad you. I'm glad you figured it out. Yeah. So, uh, you know what I want to ask you? Going back to your, um, we talked a lot about the old days, and we and you certainly had a lot of fun being two jerk offs. Uh, matter of fact, I have business cards made up. We were called it. We called each other the two jerks from Jersey, and we used an outhouse as our logo, which uh, which is still funny. And I don't know if you remember Art. Um, uh, do you remember I used to give people that card to go see you backstage? And I would tell, give this to the bouncer and tell the bouncer to give this to Artie. You'll be let in immediately. And like 10 times in a row, as soon as I did that, you allowed my friends, whoever it was, to get backstage in the green room. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember seeing the card. I just yeah. remember letting a lot of people back in the green room. <laughs> I know. Back then you were jammed, but that's how they used to get in. But, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, though, um, already I'm being probably accused of talking too much, but that's how it goes. When you first got on Mad TV, like, I forget, we were both doing sketch comedy, and then you auditioned for the show, Mad TV, and you got it. Like, what was, like, I don't think we ever really talked about, even though I was there for the pilot in the audience, like, what was it like to be, from doing this, like, shitty little improv, you know, sketch comedy group, to being on, like, the Fox lot in front of uh, cameras, directors, writer's room, like, how, how, I mean, you were just a rookie, like, how, what was that like? It was daunting, it's a good question, I mean, it was uh, definitely, like, you know, different than what I, I was used to, uh, but, you know, you, you adjust, it's, it's weird, um, you know, it's weird what the what a person can adjust to when he has to. I uh, I had never seen a camera before, right? And uh, you know, it, it's really like when you do it in front of a studio audience. The studio audience isn't is watching uh, isn't watching sketch comedy. They're watching people shoot sketch comedy for television. They're watching a TV show be made more than the actual, you know, right sketch. So, which is different than you what gotta, you were doing up to that point. Yeah, yeah, you got to learn to play for the camera, not the audience, because the final uh, the final say is what the, what's on the camera, and that's what goes out to the the, the, the audience that you wanted to go out to. Uh, not to say you forget about the studio audience, but they're there for the laughs, right? But, uh, yeah, no, it was it was a weird adjustment, without question. I mean, I you know, especially the I mean, I, me and Deej were there for the taping, but you, of course, were there. Know all week long, and I always forget. Like he, like this, the, our group prepared you in many ways for that, but in many ways not at all. We didn't have cameras. We didn't have writers making changes, and um, I mean e each one. Of, and sketch comedy is by far the hardest thing to produce, in my opinion, because it's so hard to write a funny sketch, and then the writers make so many changes, and you got to make costume changes and all the all the. Um, yeah, well, one little change in a, in a, in a script can, can mean, like, you know, a bunch of work for people like the wardrobe department, and, you know, you make one little change in the script writing-wise, and, and then once you're married to that, you got to stay married to it once you go in, the, in front of the camera, for the most part. Right. Um, but people make line changes all the time. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it, was, it was definitely surreal, without question. Now, I know when you another thing you had to make an adjustment to with Mad TV, and first of all, the reason why the reason why I like talking about you know uh, live on tape the sketch group we did and Mad TV is because 
I know you tend to get known as the Howard Stern. Oh, the guy was on Howard Stern. But I've always thought like, yeah, but he did a lot before he got to Stern. Um, and I, I forget how like you you were living, you know, living at home with your with your with your mom as I was living with my parents. And next thing you know, you're out in L.A. And that's an adjustment in itself, just being out in L.A., um, you know, uh, just being in LA in showbiz, like what was that like? And making five grand, ten grand a week, whatever the hell you were Well, it was it was easier because I was making money, you know. And then eventually you get adjusted to it. I lived out there for like the better part of six years, right? Uh, you know. And then once I got out of sitcom with Norm Macdonald, it was uh, even more money. So uh, that 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 made it easy. <laughs> Right. Well, I remember when you're out there making money. The, when you when you did the, after Mad TV and uh, all the stuff with Mad TV has been well documented, and you getting arrested and off the show and all that crap. I don't want to go back that way because most of your fans know that. But then you know when you ended up um, when you ended up on the Norm show, I remember you being so like because coming from Mad TV and sketch comedy, you said to me, and I'm blowing the line. You were like, Jimmy, I can do this show in my sleep. Like, it's so easy to do compared to sketch comedy. So did you really feel that way? Well, I mean, not in my sleep, but, you know, it's like uh, uh, compared to sketch comedy, a sitcom is much easier. Yeah, absolutely. You're only one character all the time. And me, I was just basically playing me. Right. And, um, you know, it, it was a lot easier, absolutely. It wasn't as hectic. It wasn't as many lines to learn. Um so it, it was just a, it was like a charmed existence doing a, doing a, a, being, a making, being a supporting actor on a sitcom. What Norm was doing, that's very difficult. Norm was a star. Right. And, you know. But I thought you were making he, he, fuck you money to be on that show. I mean, that was a lot of money you got paid. It was awesome. Yeah, you know, it, it was, it was, it was, a, it was, a, that was, that was the easiest part of my life was the time on that show. Because you're making a lot of money for not a lot of work, and right. uh, you know, living in LA was fun after a while. You know, I probably never would have came back if it wasn't for the Stern Show. That, that that's what got me back to New York. Right. Um, and I probably would have never came back if it wasn't for that. Two two things I remember about you living in LA, and I'm going to have you tell it. I can shut up. Where the the temperature in your um, your apartment in LA was it? Was it? Did it ever go above sixty degrees? It was the coldest place on earth. Like, yeah, I like my air conditioning. Oh my god, it was the coldest. He had the air on like heavy high through the night. You could like there was he didn't even need a refrigerator. If you had like cold cuts, just leave them on the counter. They'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going. I, I used to wear my leather jacket. Be ninety degrees outside. I'd have to bring my leather jacket because it was that cold in your apartment. Um, and the other story I want you to tell, uh, and I'll, I'll assist you with it, is I know I stopped by there, must have been first week of December, and you had absolutely no, like, no Christmas stuff at all in your apartment. And I said to you, hey, Art, you know, let's go, we got to go get a Christmas tree or something. So you said, all right. So um, there was a guy selling Christmas trees down the block on Wilshire Boulevard. And do you remember that? Do you remember getting the Christmas tree? Yeah, we got the tree and we carried it back. <laughs> we carried it back over Wilshire Boulevard, the two okay. of us. Carried the tree. It was much further than we thought. We walked down there and Artie, you were like, you said, 
you wanted it all done in five minutes. You were like, you walk in, it's like, I right, give me the stand, give me the tree, give me the lights, all this different stuff. And then we realized that we didn't have a car. So the two of us on Wilshire Boulevard and in LA, nobody walks. Our, I had the, the, the back end with the, the stump part. And, you had the yeah, yeah. and we walked like two assholes, two assholes from New Jersey. Like, I don't know, must have been like five, 600 yards back up to the apartment. And the spindles were all over the place. And you would tip in the doorman at the building. Oh, my God. Yeah, the doorman, the doorman has to be tipped properly. That, that's the whole key to living in an apartment building. You keep them tipped properly and everything will work out fine. They, they helped us out, but I remember I remember passing by like BMWs and scratching them with, with, with the tree. Oh, and, my God. Uh, we, we giggled the whole time like 10-year-olds. We were crying. And yeah, we put it up and just, just lights and the Yankee hat. Right, I know. Well, I, first of all, we set the tree up, and then you didn't want to do anything, and I had to put the lights up, and I was getting aggravated at you. I'm like, oh, why am I doing this shit? You're the one, ah, I don't feel like doing it. And then we, I was going to put some of the stuff to hang up, but I just took your Yankee hat and put it on the top, and you're like, ah, oh, perfect tree. Somewhere, somehow yeah. we got a picture of that. I think one of us took a picture of it. Um, so I that, hope so. We're worth all that problem. <laughs> I, I hope so. And I think that tree hung there for, what, like four months? You didn't take that down? No, I took it down before. It only lasted about a month. because I took it down right before I went home. To, for the holiday. Yeah. That's a crazy time. So, um, you know, then, I mean, the when it, when it comes to the Howard Stern show, I, in the beginning when you were first on, obviously you were on with Norm the first time, but once you started coming back as a, like a, you know, a semi-guest, regular kind of thing, how did you handle, like, I know you were a big fan of the Stern show, so you knew the rhythm of it, but what was it like in the very beginning, similar to Mad TV, now this is a different form, this is radio, and in the beginning, you were kind of a guy that comes in, a quick left hook joke and get out. Like, what was that like to know when to when to throw a punch in the room, you know, a comedic punch in the room, and when not to? Well, that was being a fan of the show. You know, I knew when to shut up as well as when to talk. Uh, you know, it's a weird adjustment, um, you know, because, again, I always could tell the comics are doing the show. You're working to an audience of one. If you make Howard laugh, the whole audience will love you. So just try to do that. And that's what I tried to do, um, knowing some of his sense of humor from listening for so long, because I had been listening at that point for like 15 years right. or longer. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, again, compared to television, it's something you have to learn as you go, uh, as you go along. Right. Compared to television, it was we were on TV, but there was no blocking the camera. There was no like everything you said was just on mic, and they caught a picture of you saying it. Um, and usually, what made it to the air was uh, they taped all four and a half hours of the show. But uh, usually, what made it to the air was just the part where a guest was on or something. Um, so that's when you knew uh, you had to turn it up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it was just, just a matter of listening to the show and knowing when to shut up. Right. Which sometimes I don't learn to do on my podcast. But um, <laughs> at least at least some people feel that way. But did, so, so you had no idea. Did you know, you must have known that Howard was digging what you were doing, though, right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because you see him laughing. You know, there's only one way to prove it, and that's, that's, 
that, that to see him laugh. Um, you know, uh, he, uh, it took three months to get the job and that was doing the show on and off. Um, I figured it out. I had done the show 33 times before they made me an offer to do it full time. Wow. I love how and you, know, I just, love how you still know exactly how many shows you did before. <laughs> yeah, mean, that, that, that was, that, that, that was, I, I purposely, uh, figured that out in my head because I wanted to know, all right, is there anything else I could, uh, that, that could be thrown at me that I don't know how to handle and uh, in within that time like Paul McCartney came in as a guest Ozzy Osbourne yeah like what did you do like, when McCartney came on did you just instinctively know to shut up until Howard yes in the beginning yes. anyway in the beginning oh yeah absolutely absolutely and I didn't speak well McCartney and Howard were talking I figured if you want to hear these two legends talk I'm going to shut up I didn't say anything except when Paul McCartney acknowledged me he acknowledged me once because you want to get a beer mate <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little, yeah. little did he realize who he was asking to go out for a drink. With. <laughs> yeah, well, he was kidding around, but right. uh, I don't think he really wanted to get a beer with me. <laughs> uh, but uh, Howard acknowledged me for the McCartney acknowledgement. I said, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do. How? And that was it. But you know, how? you got, you got to know they don't want to hear what you have to say when most of the guys talk. How far in? To the show, you you did the show what nine years, ten years total, eight and a half years. Eight and a half years. At what point were you like in the beginning? Obviously, Paul McCartney is a huge star, but at what point did you realize? Oh, I can I can kind of hop in the interview, or the whole time did you shut up during the interviews? In the beginning, the whole time I shut up doing them, unless I was spoken to. Right. Uh, but in the end. Uh, in in the prime time that I was there, the prime the prime years, uh, I I found the rhythm, you know that uh, that worked out. Right. Yeah, so, uh, I, where I, I could talk when when the when the guests were there and acknowledge them and, and even ask them my own questions. And Al was very good about that. He was like you know very generous and, uh, with the time. After a while, what? when because he, he knew I was trying to adjust myself, you know. Who, uh, of all the guests, what guest on the Stern Show would you say you, not not so much the Stern interaction, but that you actually had an interaction with where, like, like you thought, like, wow, this guy's getting my questions, like that kind of thing. Do you, is there anything, anything uh, there stick was out? Plenty, there, was plenty, there was plenty of them. Uh, Wesley Snipes was one. Johnny Depp was one. He, he called in and he, he, he seemed to be, Acknowledging everything I said, and, and that was a that was another thing. If a, if a big star called him, then you know it's got to make sense to the audience. So you know you got to realize no one's looking at you, and uh, you can see the expressions people make in their face, and you can't react totally off of that because no one else can see it. But uh, you know, in the in the end, you know I adjusted all right. The uh, uh, and I, again, I asked you last time. Um, you haven't really heard. Uh, you haven't really talked to Howard or anybody over there really much in a pretty long time, have you? No, no, it's been it's, uh, close to ten years. I always find it odd. I mean, I guess Howard, but for whatever reason, you know, doesn't reach out. And I know things were said there over the years, but 
I always wonder why, like, Robin or Gary or someone didn't really send you a text, hey, how you doing? Especially in the last two or three years, um, um, just to be like, hey, man, you all right? How you doing? Like, you know, kind of just like old buddy. Oh, well, it just, it just was a God, a, a relationship that was just severed, you know. Right. That's how it was. Did you, um, ever, did you ever think about reaching out to them at all, or you just want nothing to do with it? Sure. No, I I, I love everybody there. Everybody right. there was, you know, they, they gave me the best job ever, and and I love them, but I don't want to bug them. Right. You know, I, I figured, you know, that, that was it, and it was, right. you know. If you uh, once you once you get back going, would you would you go on the show again to buzz balls, or you'd have to wait till somebody really? Yeah, embarrassed? sure, sure, I would, that's but I don't I think that's gonna happen. Yeah, I figured you would do that. <laughs> well, you never know. Hey, you never know, man. So then, sure, uh, I would. After, <laughs> I mean, I would, you know, listen, if you come on my show, why can't you do Howard Stern show? <laughs> right. But uh, so when when you first started doing like with Nick DePala on the that um, Direct TV. Um, show you you did there for a while. Kind of walk me through that whole experience and how that came about and and all that stuff. Walk you through it? Well, not walk me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that was something that came out of nowhere. Did you? Uh, um, is it something that you Nick, Nick Nick had a deal to do a show there, and they wanted him to have a partner. And um, I had called him up after I came back from rehab. And uh, he said, "Hey, would you want to maybe see if they'll have you do the show with me?" Because they were they were wanting him to do it with people that he didn't want to do it with. So I said, "Yeah, sure, that'll be great. I need a job." And uh, we uh, we pitched it to him, and we went out and met them, and then we did a test show, and that went very well. So you know, before we knew it, we had our own show on on, on air. A radio station and then their television network and it was a that was similar to Howard where they were shooting us doing a TV show uh, and radio show um, so uh, that uh, it, that all came about very quickly after I came back from rehab um, after I left the Stern show like I called Nick up and Nick was like hey you know it's weird you're calling me because I got this opportunity uh and I said, sure, I'd love to, right. uh, you know, get back into the swing of things as soon as possible. I remember two things. You were involved with the Super Bowl. I think as Fox had the Super Bowl at the time, or you were doing stuff with the Super Bowl for some reason. I remember that. I don't know if that's... Yeah, we mean. always, uh, we, we uh, went out to the Super Bowl each year that I was there for right. three years. Well, the first year we went to Indianapolis, then we went to New Orleans. And then the last year was the one that was in New York, so we didn't have to leave. I remember you having unbelievably uh, very, very cool bands on the show. Probably bands now that are huge at the time. It just, I, I was, I don't think I went, I went two or three times, plus you had me on the show once. Um, but that's still all over YouTube. Some of my, uh, my uh, fans and friends get a kick out of that. But you had some awesome bands on there, I thought. Yeah, well, they were uh, part of the guitar. Uh, they had a guitar oriented show on uh, the audience network, which is what we were on. And that got a lot of cool, like you say, like garage type bands. Right. I think you had uh, Warren Haynes on. Didn't you have Warren Haynes on one time? Yeah. Which is yeah. awesome. Now you had also had those two blondes on the show, the, 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 the twins or something. 
Yep. I remember they had deep speed. Talk about the Twin Towers lining up to the right side. <laughs> Your safety had to have a good game over there. Um, yeah. What, uh, what do you, I guess, did you ever talk to them afterwards? I mean, because, you know, you were still doing it. No, uh, I haven't really seen them. I haven't really seen them at all. You know, it's funny. What, uh, that was 15 years ago you did that, right? Or was it that long ago? Maybe 10. No. 10? No, about about 10. Okay. 10 years ago. Wow, I wonder what the hell. That, I mean, a Bichetti must talk to them. Just Bichetti's. I know Steve Bichetti. You're still friendly with. Um, have you talked to him in a while? Mike Bichetti. Yeah. Mike, what did I say, Steve? <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Mike Bichetti. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I still talk to Mike. That's Mike, cool. Mike's uh, on the new show. I've been trying to get going. The Lines Halfway House. Mike, uh, Mike's on that. Right. So he, but he does. I always wonder what happened to those two. Beautiful twin blondes are on your show. I don't know what happened to them. I, gotta, I, gonna, I, think, I do, think they both got married. I'm going to do my research and try to find out something about that. So then you end up, of course, that uh, um, that show uh, did its thing, and then you end up, of course, on uh, with uh, Cumia. Um, what, yeah. uh, what what was that like? It was great. Uh, you know, I think Anthony's funny, and, you know, we had a blast doing it. Uh, there's a couple of cuts of you having what some comedians were on and I forget I, I couldn't tell you which comedian it was they weren't like they were known comedians but not you know huge stars and you just seemed like you were having an absolute blast when you had like a stand up comedian on that you thought was funny yeah it was good like like Anthony definitely lent himself to that uh, it's having fun uh, it was super casual as casual as you could get and uh we had a lot of guys on that I thought were very funny and needed a break. But, um, yeah, it was great. What do you think is going to happen now with, um, you know, these comedy clubs and the pandemic? You think it's going to, you think the days of packing everybody in down at the cellar are going to, those days will come back? And yeah, how, how do you think that's going to go? I think they already came back for the cellar and the different clubs in New York, they're, they're back open again. But is it the um, same? I haven't been in since. This. Have you been down there since or no? Yeah. You went I down? I went down to visit, yeah. How was it? It was great. They, 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 you know, they had uh, packed houses again. Wow. Uh, but they have plastic up. It's weird. They have plastic up in between the tables. Wow. But uh, I don't even know if they have that anymore. I don't think you have to have it anymore. But uh, it's weird. This pandemic keeps hanging on. It's not going anywhere. I know. Definitely, definitely hanging on longer. I know I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm doing a show up in Ramsey, um, on September 10th, um, uh, under a big tent, in someone's backyard. So it'll be outside. I'm uh, doing a show on Mike Gaffney. You know, Gaffney? Yeah. Mike Gaffney's great. Great yeah, comedian. He's a good comedian. He's going to, he'll be the headliner and I'll do a middle. So I don't know if you have, if you're up to it, you feel like taking a ride, you're more than welcome to come up and check that out. Um, yeah, maybe I will. The, uh, but uh, listen, I, I appreciate you having you back on. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Anything, uh, you know? Uh, no, days? I'm good. No problem. Anytime you need me, just let me know. You got it, man. I appreciate you coming on. So I can officially say that Artie Lang is a friend of the Jimmy Palumbo show. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's not Even quite before. getting it's not quite getting the Howard Stern friend of Howard Stern show uh, plug, but I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'm glad I can hear you clearly, um, not like last time. Even though people enjoyed the interview last time, um, 
But that's it, man. I don't want to bother you anymore. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'll talk to you later on. No problem, Jim. Anytime. Right, later, man. buddy. I'll talk to you. Bye. All right. That was Artie Lang on the Jimmy Palumbo Show. He was officially getting involved here from the Omni in Atlanta. Show number two for Artie, which is awesome to come back on. And uh, we eliminated the audio problems. It was great to have him on. He's an old buddy. And we will have him on again. Matter of fact, the minute he starts doing anything, uh, we'll have him on. I'll be the first to, hopefully, be the first to let you guys know what he's doing. Um, but there's also another huge thing going on just two days from now, which I've been, listen, I've been laying off the Rutgers stuff because Rutgers was in the NCAA tournament. We went heavy Rutgers back in March and April. March Madness, Rutgers should have beat Houston. Of course, now the Knicks got the guy from Houston who killed us. But Rutgers football starts in two days. And you're going to read in my blog how exciting it is. Whenever Rutgers is 0-0 zero and zero or 0-0, oh oh, as I say, it's always the most exciting time to be a Rutgers fan because that's when we have hope. There's hope. It's almost like the Mets in April kind of thing. Um, or now, I should say, the Cowboys in September. Um, and uh, I know Dave's looking at me. He just hates when I bash the Cowboys. He's bitter, Dave, now, because he watched the third preseason game of the Cowboys. But, no, when you come, I'm a huge Rutgers fan. I will be there. Unfortunately, it looks like the weather, <laughs> Hurricane Ida, I hope everybody's safe down there, including my cousin, um, Nancy Jean. But it uh, looks like Hurricane Ida is coming through <laughs> central New Jersey. So I think... Thursday might be either wet, rainy, windy. It might be a might 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 be a nightmare. Uh, we were going to do a bunch of marketing stuff. We may hold off to the next home game, but if the hurricane goes south, we might come in and uh, still do some marketing stuff. Either way, Chris and Dave will probably be at the game and with me. I'm excited. I think we're going to beat Temple. Uh, I think Temple's an off year. I think a couple years ago we would not have beaten Temple, but we took a bunch of their good players. I think the fans are going to be fired up. I think Rutgers is going to win the game. Um, and I'm excited because we're 0-0. And as far as I'm certain, 0-0, it's like, who are we playing? Are we going to play Alabama in the, in the championship, man? We're 0-0, baby. <laughs> I mean, when? Bring on bring on Alabama. Bring on the so Ohio State is third game? No, it goes, we play uh, the fourth game. It's uh, It goes uh, Temple, Syracuse, Delaware. Than Ohio so they State. They could be undefeated going into the if, Ohio State game. There are a guy in the New York Post. I'm giving him a shout out. I don't even know his name. He gave a nice little shout out. Listen, do I think they could be 3 0? Yes, for these three reasons. Number one, Temple is, they lost a lot of their players. So I think on paper we're better than Temple. We're definitely on paper better than Syracuse because we are going to, we're going to be killing Syracuse with recruits. The biggest, the two schools that are going to take the biggest hit because of Greg Shannon are Boston College and Syracuse. Literally, he won't, we won't lose anybody. Of, we're just not going to lose anybody to Boston College or Syracuse anymore. Um, so we're on paper. And then Delaware, the problem with Delaware is they're Division Double, I call them Division Double A. They sneak up on you. They're well, not a bad team. I'll give you a reason. You guys you follow, you follow sports. They have a fifth-year senior at quarterback. So anytime you run into a team with a guy who's 26 years old due to COVID, fifth-year senior, knows the system, you can, you you know, and you're looking ahead to a game, um, I think they're the Delaware's the worst team that we do play, but listen, I'm a Rutgers fan, and anybody who really thinks they're going to go three and zero, you can't even on paper if it's true, you can't. Uh, you know what? They'll, they'll probably go two and one. They'll probably shit the bed either against Temple or Syracuse, and maybe be, you know what I mean. Um, but if they're three and zero, Fursiano would be through the roof because then you got Ohio State coming. Um, odds are Ohio State 
You know the question is? I think Rutgers has a better chance of being 3-0 and than Ohio State does. Go look at Ohio State's schedule. They play some tough teams. But if Rutgers is 3-0 and and we're playing Ohio State on the road, that's going to generate some buzz, especially here. I'll be doing the entire podcast. It'll be about Rutgers at that point. But I just don't have the faith that, that we're going to go, you know. The only reason I have faith is that for the first time in 10 years, we have a quarterback starting for the second year in a row. And our offensive coordinator is has the job for the second year in a row. We went 10 years with 10 offensive coordinators. I don't think that's ever been done in the history of sports. Have you, can you guys remember ever Cowboys, Giants, anything? I know. I 10 know years in a row? There was a situation early in Alex Smith's career with the 49ers where he had a different coordinator six it? years in a row, but not 10. Not 10. And this is a, this is a college. A prosy, you get it. Guys should know the playbook. So that's why I think we're going to be better. But if you look up Rutgers' schedule... <laughs> Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. Now that's State. the thing. They go three and zero, and then you die. They, they can go three and zero and finish three and nine. Well, that's, that's what it. I was going to say. No they doubt. Need to, they, no doubt. Three and zero is pretty much the only way they make a bowl game. I'm not even so sure that. Uh, no, can't not. They'll. I'll tell you. You know how you know they're going to go to a bowl when they win their sixth game, because even if they're five and five, they can lose the last two. You know, I, it's just the way it is. They play. Mar- they they close out with Maryland and Penn State. Maryland's just as good. And and Penn State's better. So if they're five and five, there's no guarantee. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the best thing is they're O and O. And I got a, a blog. Please go listen to my blog. Uh, listen, read my blog. It's about being what it's like being a Rutgers fan. I think you guys will get a kick out of it. It's a little ball breaking too, and also dead on. I think. Um, and also, please don't forget we have shirts available. Jimmy Palumbo show. We have Johnny Trino seven oh six shirts available. Um, we also, I just was informed, we're going to be getting some coffee mugs and some trinkets going on that like keychains or whatever we're gonna we're gonna sit and have a meeting today and find out so there's gonna be a bunch of more crap available in the next couple of weeks except the t-shirts are available right now and chris where exactly do you get them you got to go to chopsportsmedia.com click on merch and you'll you'll scroll down you'll see the jimmy palumbo show i don't know if it says collection but there's a jimmy palumbo show you could check out all the merch there's a lot of Rutgers athletes yep. on there a few football players so if you want to go support your my niece your my Scarlet niece has Knights, a shirt a madison palumbo a long lost nephew of yours nick palumbo that's right nick palumbo but also the blog that you were talking about that's also available on chopsportsmedia.com so you go on chopsportsmedia.com click on blogs and yours is either the first or the second one at the top because it. it was just published I put one on about 706 and now I'm going to put one on um, about uh, just about Rutgers opening day and that's it all right well listen this was a great show I'm so glad you guys stuck around and for all you Howard Stern fans out there thanks for coming back I think you'll like my show maybe you'll think I'm already light People say I sound like him. I mean, if I really wanted to, if I wanted to get that, uh, yeah, you know, we're over there. I can sound like Artie um, with the uh, deep voice and uh, stuff like that. But Artie's an old buddy of mine, so he came on twice. He realized the situation, and we had him on, which is awesome. And uh, that's it. Time for me to start getting ready for the Rutgers Temple game. God bless you. Where have you come from? Where have you gone?